0: Thank you.
1: Do we have an intro?
2: Uh, it's just welcome owlets for the Kahooligans.
1: I forgot half of that, so you'll Uh have to do the rest of it.
2: Yeah. I'm PB. I haven't mentioned this in a while. I use they, them pronouns.
1: I'm CJ. I use she, her. And we are not owls.
2: No, we're not owls. Haven't been much a podcaster, to be honest.
1: (laughs) Um, so, actually, I was gonna ask before we started this episode... We recorded the last episode like three or four times, Uh and I genuinely forgot if in the actual version that we published, I talked about Winston Churchill. You
2: did. You did. Okay.
1: Okay. Great. Because we're going to get a lot of Winston Churchill Uh today.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'll say our excuse for being so uh, lapdash with our recording schedule is it's hot.
1: Oh, it's so hot. It's miserable. It's hard to be back in this room for more than an hour at a time.
2: <laughs> yep, yep. But hey, we're back. We're still alive. We're still kicking. We're still podcasting. We're gonna get through this whole series.
1: And hey, there's gonna be character death. So, like, we're alive and owls won't be soon. Oh, well, fun. Fun.
2: Um, Spoilers. Yeah, so, uh, before we get into the episode proper, see, I don't really have a miles minute for you today. Um, uh, But I do have um a, a mailbag.
1: Oh, good. Let's have it.
2: Yeah, we have received an email from Listener Regular, who has a bunch of corrections for us, and we appreciate it, honestly, because we know we're getting stuff wrong. Honestly,
1: just genuinely exciting to receive fan mail.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, it made both of our days. It made us both so happy. Um, So please, if you hear things that we're getting wrong, let us know.
1: Like, oh my goodness, somebody cared enough to correct us? Yes! Glocks, yes!
2: Alright, so... Uh, I'm gonna do this quiz style. I think you have seen this family already, but it's been a week or two mm-hmm. because of the heat and the laziness in recording. Um. So, I'm just gonna ask you a few questions. How do you spell the name of the character that um half flirts with Soren at the dance scene okay, and look. <laughs> that you have strong feelings about? So
1: look, I know I'm saying her name wrong. I realize it's like O two O T U L I S S A. I think it's spelled. Mm-hmm. Um, O Tulissa is how it probably should be said.
2: Okay. Well, according to regular in the film, which we haven't watched yet, mm-hmm. and I will argue about the canonicity of to the book series, but we'll get there. Um, it's O Tulissa.
1: You. We have to read and watch before we can argue about what's canon and what's
0: that's, not canon.
2: That's true. Just my gut instinct is like. The way I read it is more canon than the pronunciations they went with for the movie. But I might change my mind after seeing the film. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Um, I don't know how we've been pronouncing Eglantine, but that's how I've been saying it.
1: Uh, Well, Eglantine, Eglantine, I Um, could see it being either way. I went for Eglantine purely because that's how I read it at at 10 years old.
2: Yeah. Uh, that, at least according to regulars, how the film pronounces it as well. Eglantine. Um, Let's see, I think we corrected this in the next episode, mm-hmm. but uh, Dulap is female, not male.
0: Yep. And yep. Bubo
2: is a great horned. Yep. I think we fixed both of those already, but if not, um, and all right, Uh, what about our wise old mentor owl? Ezelrib? Apparently, in the film they pronounce it Ezelrib.
1: All right, I could see that, but that's another one, like, if you're reading the books uh-huh. as a child, like, you're gonna take your best guess and <laughs> go with whatever you got.
2: This could be due to one of the film's producers saying it that way, however. And also that carried over to the game's voice acting as well.
1: That also, actually, that brings up a kind of interesting question. Ezelrib, Ezelrib, is a distinctly northern owl. Presumably would have distinctly different linguistic patterns and sounds. I mean, we don't know. It could be entirely different.
2: Uh Uh-huh. And then finally, we might have overstepped in one episode where we said that the racist babbling Owlet was talking about the actual Glocks. I think we were both pretty clear that, like, it was viewing propaganda from the Pure Ones. Oh yeah,
1: absolute propaganda. Well, and also, like, it is deliberately unclear, too, because, like, Soren doesn't get it. Uh-huh, Soren uh-huh. is an infamously dumb little boy who doesn't know what's going on around him for the first two and a half books.
2: All right. Yep, that's all the corrections from regular. Thank you so much for writing in. You also, you also had some kind words to say to us, and we appreciate it very much.
1: Terribly exciting.
2: Uh, yeah. So that's our uh, mailbag for today. Um, if you want to hear your own comments read out or ask us questions, we are happy to do so. Um, let's go to you, CJ. Well, I imagine it'll bounce right back to me.
1: Probably. You want some vocab?
2: Sure, so... Remind me what we're talking about today.
1: Okay, so today our plan is to go through the last half of the siege, which um is book 3, book 4. Book 4, sorry. Uh which is book 4 and as you might imagine, a lot of it encompasses a siege.
2: <laughs> Wait, we don't spend the whole rest of the book doing our Saint Aggies infiltration?
1: As fun as that honestly would be, we spend of the. Um, let's see, this is the longest book yet um, in the whole series. Of the remaining 175 pages, how much do you figure we spend at St. Aggie's?
2: Uh uh-huh. It feels like you couldn't wrap that up in less than 100 pages, but I know I'm wrong.
1: We're going to wrap that up in about 50 pages or less.
2: Uh huh. then 125 for the siege. For
1: the siege. Now, of that. Remember, I talked about Winston Churchill? Yeah. Okay, so Ezelrib, according to Catherine Lasky's intro to this book, is. is Winston Churchill, basically, for the purposes of this. Uh-huh. Um, we're doing it. This is a direct World War II allegory. We are not bothering with any level of, you know, distancing here. The tree is the UK. Yeah. Ezelrib is Winston Churchill. And he's gonna give some speeches.
2: Uh, is Dulap Neville Chamberlain?
1: I guess. I didn't even think about that one, but I suppose so.
2: Does Dulap ever say the word appeasement?
1: I would have to check.
2: Or, I guess, Bubo is what, uh, Queen. That, that was pre-Queen Elizabeth, right? I'm impressed
1: it- that you managed to keep this amount of World War II knowledge in your head, because I certainly didn't. I had to do research. Which, by the way, um, regarding research, thank you to winstonchurchill.org, <laughs> which is a thing, and has like all of his speeches and uh-huh. analysis on their website for me to use. Anyway, my point here was, in these 185 remaining pages, yes, how many speeches are we going to get from Ezelrib and How many pages?
2: Alright, let me map this out. <laughs> that that's my specialty. Alright, so we have fifty more pages at St. Aggies. That uh-huh. leaves us with 125 pages. Uh-huh. Um. Chapters tend to be like 10 to 15 pages. Yeah. And these probably. books shoot to be like 21, 22 chapters. So that's probably what? Four chapters at St. Aggies of like the twelve or thirteen we have left. So that's like eight chapters. So I'm gonna say. Seven speeches. We're going to have one chapter without a speech, every other chapter has a speech.
1: ooh, you're generous. um incorrect. four speeches encompassing seven pages in total. uh-huh i I, I have to remind you, these are only normally these are only two hundred page books, yes. right? They're short, they're quick. We just spent seven pages of just Ezelrib talking.
2: I mean, I'd rather have a speech from Ezelryp than any other character.
1: I mean, ditto, for sure. I just wanted to put that in perspective, like, ratio-wise, how much speech-giving we are about to get. And all of these speeches come in the last, I don't know, maybe 70 pages? Uh Uh-huh. So they're all one right after another. All right. But first, we gotta spend some time at St. Agnes.
2: I was about to say, we're jumping the gun a little bit.
1: Would you like, Some summary first or some vocab first?
2: Uh huh. The vocab's gonna help me with the summary, so let's do vocab.
1: Okay. Our first vocab word is less of a vocab word and more of a question where you provide me the word. Ooh. Uh huh. Please. So tell me, why might an owl have a
3: funny smell about them?
2: Um. Shoot, this would have been when they would have been drinking, like, the owl wine. So that would be, um, getting. It wasn't leaking, because I was just, like, childish playing around. There's gotta be an owl word for tipsy.
1: Yeah, so bad news about the wine. We're about to run out of it. We're we're gonna have some food problems, but that's later. Okay, that is. This happens, this word occurs at St. Aggie's. Uh Uh-huh. Why an owl has a funny smell about them
2: how strong are owls' senses of smell? Pretty good, I'd imagine,
1: actually. Uh, that would be a, a you question to uh-huh. provide for us in your owl fact corner.
2: Um, They haven't been grooming themselves properly? Worse. Um. The go
1: worse. Go St. Aggie's Nazi levels of worse.
2: Yeah. Uh, they've been given too much blood to the vampire bats?
1: Worse. You're thinking too selflessly
3: here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Okay, I don't know.
1: There exist. In St. Aggie's, egg eaters.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: One in particular. Do you remember who?
2: Um, it's, uh, one of Skencher's Nope. No? No. Oh, is it Auntie?
1: It is Auntie. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. This is one of the first things that actually happens in our time in St. Aggie's, is Soren going, oh man. I really, I really don't want to meet auntie again. I can Mm -hmm. deal with all the rest of these terrible things. I really, because it's personal, right? Yeah. Like she's the personal aspect of fascism. Mm -hmm. She's the one who is ever so sweet and kind Uh when he was there the first time.
2: She's the one he watched kill Hortense. Although we know Hortense isn't dead, but you know, as far as he knows she is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So he's really not looking forward to seeing her again. And when he finally does... This lady is mangled. This lady is described as having pus coming out of places, multiple new scars. She's got an eye uh full of cataracts that's uh-huh. been scarred over, and she has a funny smell about her, mm-hmm. which they later find out is because she eats eggs. She eats eggs.
2: Does she do scrambled eggs? Does she do fried <laughs> eggs? How does she <laughs> that's like her stork. eggs? <laughs>
1: in this context.
2: Oh yeah, no, she's just gulping the raw eggs with, like, some protein shakes.
1: Um, She's also known, and this is also very Nazi-ish, she is known to eat any imperfect owlets that uh-huh. hatch. So she's a eugenicist. She's an uh-huh. owl eugenicist.
2: She's a cannibal eugenicist.
1: She's a cannibal eugenicist. She went that Jonathan, Jonathan Swift route, and she she went.
2: She went hard. Uh-huh. Also, like, When we saw her in the first book, she kept her appearance pretty well. Like, she was a... So, clearly, hard times at St. Aggie's.
1: Well, she's kind of got a promotion.
2: Mm -hmm. So, she's
1: no longer the pit mother that she was in the first book, where she had to present, you know, pretty and kindly and sweet. Uh, She's now in charge of the hatchery. Which, you know, if you're going to be a cannibal, um, might be a really good place to station yourself.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I guess we had to fill our cannibal quota at St. Aggie's after Jat and Jut died.
3: Ugh. Did we? Did we have to fill? Was there a cannibal quota?
2: Apparently. I'm just calling it as I sees it.
1: I mean, no credit whatsoever to the Nazis here. But I'm pretty sure cannibalism is not a thing that they were known for. Everything else, eugenicism, uh-huh. fascism, um, horrible, horrible, brutal human crimes. Yes.
2: Yeah, I think you get you can like say like the horrifying Nazi medical experiments on the same level. Oh, as I guess that
1: is the equivalent at the, yeah. on the same
2: level of evil as cannibalism. But I, I don't know. We're not the people to discuss well, this.
1: And then again, that's actually a very good parallel because like we are doing weird esoteric Nazi tests in St. Aggies still. Like, we're still trying to figure out magnetism. That's a big part of our time in St. Aggies.
2: Trying to find out if eating eggs and owlets gives us, like, extra superpowers or something. Oh,
1: actually, kind of. You hit on a plot point there. Expand on that. Um. It's not eating eggs, but they are doing something with the eggs.
2: Um, they're trying to figure out how to, like, convert the eggs before they even hatch. Something like that.
1: Sort of? They're they're flecking the oh, eggs.
2: Oh, yeah. They're trying to make more hortenses.
1: Uh-huh. And, and they're not even really doing it on purpose, but it's clear that they know that that's a side effect and it's interesting.
2: Uh-huh. They just want to see what happens when we give a bunch of these eggs birth defects because like one in a hundred might have superpowers.
1: And we also learn how the adults here at St. Aggie's avoid moon blinking, which is also to
2: do with flecks. Um... Healthy diet of flex.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) They ingest small amounts. Yeah. Uh
2: Yeah, just swallow a few magnets. It's going to be perfect.
1: Which is fascinating because they have
2: no clue what they're doing. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, that is most of medicine up until, like, you know, the 20th century.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, they're flicking the eggs, and that's kind of how we start to find our infiltrators, which, if you remember from last episode... Is the whole reason we're here.
2: Yeah, because we were here to see, like, what St. Aggies was doing and whether the Pure Ones were, like, infiltrating them, because it yep. does seem like those two factions are at war with each other.
1: And we learn within ten pages, yes, not only are there infiltrators here, St. Aggies already knows who they are, and they're suspicious of Soren because he's a barn owl.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's just, they're like, no, it's not me, you're thinking of my brother, actually. <laughs> You'd know him. He's kind of got, like, a metal face now.
1: It's funny, because that's, like, a line, but, like, also true in this case. Anyway, there were, there were a couple of things that I wanted to pull out.
2: Yeah, yeah. How does our team's infiltration go, anyway? <laughs> Do the Legends of Gahul protect them from moon blinking, like Soren believes? I
1: mean, can you think of any other outcome? Come on.
2: No, no, of course not. Sorry, that was an obvious question. Aw. <laughs> uh, let's see. Do we get all this from Soren's perspective, or do we get to see various characters' perspectives?
1: All right, this part drove me nuts. I, you must have seen it on my page, because I put it in a box, I and legit I circled did not. that box.
2: I legit did not.
1: Within, I counted, within 30 pages, we have point-of-view jumps from Soren, Martin, Soren again, Udlissa, a random Nazi barn owl.
2: Oh, you're just gonna keep saying it wrong.
1: Dicker, <laughs> Udlissa again. Well, like, it drives me crazy, and I get it. Oh, you even spelled it wrong in your notes. You're just gonna, you're just gonna put me on blast.
2: I mean, most of this podcast is you putting me on blast. So like, <laughs> I gotta take my digs where I can get them.
1: <laughs> I,
2: I'm coming from a point of weakness. I, I'm fully aware, and I know you're going to get me back far better. But
1: I'm going to continue to pronounce it incorrectly. Even though she does kind of earn back my respect by the end of this book.
2: Had she not already?
1: No, but she was starting. This book is really it's her redemption arc. Yeah. Yeah. As a whole. And by the end of it, you know, I'm down with I'm down with her. Yes. But anyway, yeah, the, the point of view jumps within St. Aggie's, which really is only maybe 50 pages. We're jumping around constantly to get all of the information we need to get so quickly. And I do think it's kind of to the detriment of the book. Yeah. I think we needed a little bit more time in St. Aggies than we got.
2: Yeah, I remember that being like a whole book. So, you know, coming here and finding out it's like a third of this book was like, uh, oh, really?
1: There's a lot of information in a lot of different viewpoints crammed in very quickly.
2: Uh I guess... 50 pages of relatively dense story does feel a lot longer, especially when you're 10.
1: Yep. Let me put it to you this way. What do you think Soren did while at St. Aggies?
2: He ends up in the hatchery, right? Yep. Because that's where he sees Auntie again. And yep. that was a place that, like, he had already had some experience in when they got, when they had been trying to escape before Hortense.
1: And what do you think Martin did while in St. Aggies?
2: Um, Martin pretended to be an Owlet because he's small.
1: That would have been way more interesting, and I would have loved to see that. Uh, Like a Hortense take two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, Martin talks their way in, and then pretty much doesn't do anything else while at St. Aggies. Um, It gets worse. What do you think Gilfie did while at St. Aggies? Works in the library. Absolutely nothing. Literally could not tell you. I just read this book. Could not tell you what Gilfie did at St. Aggies the second time. What do you think Digger did while at St. Aggies?
2: Something involving walking around or digging holes.
1: Nope. He acts as a sounding board, like, once, Uh to get Utlissa into a place to do a thing? Yeah, yeah. What do you think Utlissa did?
2: Um, everything.
1: Everything! (laughs) She sets up this whole sting operation to feed false information to the, you know, the higher-ups about what magnetism is and how it works. She becomes their their soul in with the higher-ups of St. Aggies. Uh, she single-handedly finds... Single-wingedly. Single-wingedly. Thank you. She single-wingedly um, identifies a barn owl double agent. And through her, that's how they manage to find all of these barn owl infiltrators who are placing flecks in nests to try and sneak out.
2: Wait, like trying to steal flecks?
1: Yes. That's how, how they discover the plan.
2: How are they going to move nests?
1: They don't. So what these barn owls have done, the pure ones, they are, so St. Aggies has the biggest fleck collection.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they've been doing it for years and years.
1: Right. They got all idea of what to do with it. But frink,
2: they, that's a new one.
1: Frink is an owl curse word. Uh huh. It really freaks me off. Uh they have frink all idea of what to do with these flecks, but they have the most. So the pure ones are slowly sneaking flecks into nests as moss tenders in the hatchery. Uh huh. And then because they're moss tenders, they move around, right? Uh-huh. So they can just kind of like pluck at the moss here, move it closer to the edge, fly it away when they get the chance. Yeah, yeah. So it's very sneaky. They're being very sneaky. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Udlissa does, like, everything. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, this one really irritated me. Twilight! Twilight's here! Uh, what does Twilight do?
2: Well, following the pattern, absolutely nothing.
1: Absolutely. This, okay, this one really irritated me, though.
2: Okay, I guess if Twilight were to infiltrate... Then either we don't focus on him very much, we give him something simple to do, or he goes and he joins the warriors and he commits some owl war crimes. So no, what would we prefer?
1: I, no, I have something even more interesting than that. What is the one character trait we know about Twilight?
2: That he can see at evening. <laughs> That's a I character mean, trait that yes, I know.
1: But like, what? who is he? Like, what's his deal? Yeah, yeah his he's, shtick?
2: He's braggadocious. He's
1: braggadocious. Where's he at? The place where you cannot be braggadocious or you die. Uh Uh-huh. And we don't even get to see him struggle with it. Like, give me some character growth. Everybody else is done growing. We got one character who could really struggle in this setting, and we don't test him with it.
2: Did Guilty ever grow? Like, she already started out pretty good. <laughs> Are you making a size joke, or...? <laughs> oh, no, I actually wasn't. I was saying, you know, I don't feel like she's had too much of a character arc so far in this series. She kind of started out as the smart kid, and she's still the smart kid.
1: Yeah, this this does kind of irritate me with our side characters in this book. Um, they all kind of stall out their growth for Udliss's sake. And... I'm not saying Udlissa's arc isn't worth that. She, by the end of the book, she's pretty darn likable.
0: Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: But I I especially wanted to see Twilight struggle, uh, just because he has a moment near the end of the book where we see this big growth out of him about how he's all of a sudden, you know, less braggadocious and and willing to give, uh, specifically, Udlissa her chance at something. This was his opportunity to have that growth, and Lasky didn't do it. And I don't know if it's because this book is already so comparatively long. Uh Uh-huh. But I still wanted it.
2: All right. Uh, Well, you go start your fanfic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Don't tempt me.
2: If you ever do write a fanfic, I'm going to have to read it.
1: Oh, God, no. Now I'm never doing it.
2: Well, at least you can never tell me.
1: Oh, excuse me. Oh, Glocks. No. That's what pin names are for. Anyway.
2: (laughs) All right, we are, so we infiltrate St. Aggies. We learn that the Pure Ones are already here, that they're smuggling flex out. And that's pretty much all we came here to find out.
1: Yep, we pretty much, we've accomplished the mission at this point.
2: If I remember right, leaving ends up being something of a bloodbath. Um. Or am I wrong?
1: No, you're absolutely right. Do you remember why it's a bloodbath?
2: I think it ends up being, like, a fight between some of the Pier 1 infiltrators and St. Aggies, and our team, the band, plus extras, use that as a chance to escape.
1: Look at you absolutely nailing it.
2: This is what I'm (laughs) supposed to be doing. You've explained most of the plot to me. I haven't even gotten my chances to get things (laughs) wrong.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so this is the one thing Twilight does. Twilight instigates a fight by uncovering the Pier 1 turn feathers. Uh Uh-huh. And that's how they get out. Um, Now, unfortunately, there is a problem with this plan that they really should have foresaw, but didn't.
2: Is Soren is going to be out of his one.
1: Right, yeah.
2: Because they're just going to go after all the barn owls.
1: Right. So he also gets piled onto, and that is actually important. As they're finally making their escape, and, like, Soren's already been piled on, they are finally recognized. We knew it had to happen at some point, right? Uh
2: Uh-huh. Is it Auntie who does the
1: recognizing? It is. And I have a question for you, actually. Do you, at this point, remember Soren's assigned
2: number? Let's see. Hortense was number one. Because...
1: She was not.
2: No, she wasn't? She was not. I think Soren was seven or twelve or something. I don't remember.
1: He was twelve-one.
2: Hey, I was right. Twelve was in there.
1: Yeah, uh, Horton Horton's was uh, twelve eight. Oh yes. And what's funny is Soren remembers her number.
2: Mm-hmm. He
1: doesn't remember his.
2: Uh huh. Because it was ages ago for him.
1: It was well, and I I have two explanations for this that I really like.
2: Yeah, please. First
1: one, canonically, he moon his number out. Yeah, that's like, what he chanted.
2: Yeah, that was legitimately his strategy.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. Second one, like
3: thematically. You don't you don't remember the wicked deed you remember the wicked people, uh-huh, people outlast the deeds, you know, yeah, yeah, which makes sense, you know
1: thematically, mm-hmm. so we get recognized the fight starts, they all pile on Soren, and he straight up thinks he's gonna die.
2: Twilight to the rescue. No, I guess Twilight already instigated the fight. Uh huh. Um, Odalis to the rescue. <laughs>
1: uh, Guilty. Guilty oh, to the rescue. Good.
2: Guilty finally gets to do something.
1: How does she do it?
2: Um, something with Flex? Incorrect. Does she. She reads a book.
3: <laughs> Actually, you're kind of close.
2: Um, she hits someone with a book, she recites. Oh, she just starts reciting her, uh, star cycle legends, and that makes everyone at St. Aggie's go, no, it's the words that we're weak to. Yeah.
1: Gilfie is doing just what we did in the moon-scalding chamber, reciting this, the most powerful of all the Gahoolian legends, Sorin thought. (coughs) Look at them flinch each time the word hool or gahool is uttered. It's like a magic spell.
0: Uh-huh. This uh-huh. is
1: problem number two I have with this book. Um, we're gonna go further and further down the magic hole from
2: here on out. I mean, like we're going to have to hit a point where it's like, yeah, magic is just a thing in this world. Miles, what are you doing?
3: So that's it. uh, forty eight pages, and we're out.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Are there any casualties? Yes and no. There are not any casualties... Yes. Um, but Sorin is injured. Uh-huh. Pretty badly. Do you remember anything about that? No, I don't.
1: I'm not... surprised, um... Uh-huh. I- I'm a little fuzzy on what it is that is actually injured from him, but he's got this tail feather that seems to have been partially ripped off, but mm, like the shaft mm-hmm. is still in there. Yeah. Within a day, um, that shaft is infected, he's feverish, and he's dying. May I remind you, twenty pages ago we had a visceral description of a lady with weeping eyes and horrible scars who cannibalized eggs, but Soren's gonna die from a tail infection.
2: I mean that is sometimes how it goes. <laughs>
1: Um, so that's a problem. How do we solve it?
2: Like, sometimes, you know, the greatest heroes can die from relatively silly things. Like, didn't Dean die from tetanus in Supernatural?
1: That was an exaggeration!
2: (laughs) I know. I'm just saying it because it's funny. Anyway, what was your question?
1: Oh, yeah, uh, Soren's dying to the point where he is incoherent. How do we solve it?
2: Legends of Cahool.
1: I mean, given how we've solved everything else, that's a valid response, but incorrect in this case.
2: Do we make it back to the Gahul tree first? Probably not, because it's we not don't. well enough to travel.
1: We don't. We don't. Um, he cannot fly. It's that bad.
2: Let's see. Someone's going to make a poultice.
1: Someone is going to make a poultice, but that someone is not currently here.
2: Or are we going to go find, um, ghost hortense?
1: Well, first we meet not ghost hortense.
2: Oh yeah, one of the many, many Owlets who have been named Hortense <laughs> yeah, in which her is honor. That's pretty
1: cool. I kind of love that piece of continuity through the world. We're told in book one, oh yeah, owls all over Ambala get named Hortense. After her. And now we get to see it in practice. So we meet this teenage owl. He is male. His name is Hortense. Uh, who's deciding how best to be a hero and live up to his name.
2: Uh-huh, and that's going to be saving Soren's life. You
1: bet. bye.
2: Um, mashing together like a bunch of herbs to make like a healing poultice.
1: Wrong. Going to get the other Hortens.
2: Oh, <laughs> I just remember a poultice happening at some point.
1: There was a poultice, yeah. So Hortens and the Eagles do arrive with a snake named uh, Slynella. We uh-huh. get another weird racialized comment about like how only snakes make the best poultices. Um,
2: uh-huh. wouldn't like a baby turkey make the best one? <laughs> But, um, sh- Pun for the bird fans out there.
1: <laughs> They're all bird fans. They're exactly. listening to this. Um, oh, but I have to tell you about Slynella. Do you remember anything weird about Slynella?
2: I don't remember a character named Slynella. So I, I guess it's a little bit weird that you're bringing up a character that I don't recall at all. So,
1: sure. So, they bring this this snake, Slynella, and tell the group, who is actively mourning because they think Sorin is basically already dead. He's that feverish.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: Calm yourselves. This snake is Sorin's only hope. One side of her forked tongue bears the poison. If she mixes it with the contents of the other side, it she can provide a powerful medicine for an infection. Okay, so we're diving down this magic hole so fast into things that no longer make sense.
2: We met Soren's ghost parents last time.
1: Uh, You know, but I was kind of down for that, hero's Uh journey-wise. This isn't the last bit of, like, oh, that seems to break the rules of the
2: world a little bit, but but okay. Yeah, I don't know. This doesn't seem that wild to me. Like, it's not. Also, I guess the Caduceus staff snakes, Long Association of Snakes and Medicine.
1: That's true. You're right. I just don't like it. Uh I think it's a cop-out.
2: What would be the non-cop-out answer here?
1: Have him get crazy feverish, see the scrooms of his parents once again, and have that be, you know, how he gets the warning of the upcoming siege instead of just being handed it Uh by a double-tongued snake and hortense. Uh-huh. But that's where we're headed next.
2: Yeah, because now we got to get home.
1: Which brings us to our next vocab word.
2: Let's see, do we have any line on how the pure Ones, I guess, they probably always knew where the Google Tree was, because our young band was able to find it.
1: Bingo! There's a problem, though, in getting to the tree, and that problem is...
2: The storms.
1: The winterlies.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah.
1: There's a specific wind that makes it really hard to, uh, fly in.
2: Yeah, they had that problem in book two, and yep. the Puffins helped them out.
1: That's what sent them, yeah, way up north to the Puffins. So... There is an amassing of over a thousand owls on Cape Glocks, a place where nobody would stay during the winterlies,
2: uh-huh. unless they intended to fly.
1: So now the group with the still-injured Soren, makes the flight all the way to the Cahoole Tree before this group of a thousand owls can make it. Uh-huh. um,
2: okay, it's easier <laughs> to travel in smaller numbers, that's true.
1: Well, I I guess because they know weather things. Uh-huh. And I guess because they know weather. And they going
2: have been to. studying the weathers of this is it a sea.
1: According to the map, it is the sea of Hulamir.
2: You know, like the weather child, like they're studying all sorts of weather, but most of the weather that they have to worry about is the Gahul Tree weather.
1: And they do fly through it, so like they, they know.
2: Uh-huh. They're all very good flyers.
1: So now we have reached page 208.
2: Uh-huh. There's still
1: 80 pages left to go. Uh-huh. And in these 80 pages,
2: we are going to have a full siege.
1: Yes, we are. And, um, four Ezelrib speeches. What do you remember about the siege?
0: Um,
2: not very much. Yeah, not very much. I remember the St. Aggies Infiltration more, I think. Ah.
1: Uh- Honestly, I think that it is the more interesting part. Uh, I, I will say that the siege is very accurate.
2: Uh-huh. Oh, I think you had another vocab word that we never actually did.
1: Oh, I do. We're going to get there.
2: Okay, okay. So
1: their, their first plan to fend off this siege is a two-parter. Part number one, make a bunch of net traps. Uh-huh. Part number two, nasts.
2: NASTS.
1: N-A-S-T-E-S.
2: Is that short for nasties?
1: No, but it is, uh, what's the word, uh... Acronym? Acronym. It is an acronym. Tell me about nasts.
2: I have no clue. If they're not nasties, I don't know.
1: It is a nickel alloy super talon.
2: Okay, so it's just extra sharp talons.
1: It's like battle claws, but better.
2: Uh Uh-huh. The you know.
1: super secret is super secret of the G'huul tree. Uh-huh. And who's wearing these nasts?
2: Um, that would be the, uh, search and rescue Ch'a, because they're our army.
1: Wrong! No. Now we're all an army. We're making new teams.
2: Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, given that the, the Ch'a system gave Doolab power, probably good.
1: Uh, team number one, the Strix Stream of Strikers, who's on it?
2: Um, Butchalissa?
1: That is the only person in our Cha of Chas who is in that team, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, actually, there is one more person. Ruby is uh-huh. also on the stream Strikers. Yeah, yeah. Um, our, our Cha of Chas gets two new names.
2: Um, uh-huh. they were already the band. They were already the Cha of chas. Yep. Um... What is the most ten-year-old way that you could
1: name a team whose job it is to fight with fire?
2: Firefighters.
1: The Flame Squadron.
2: Yeah, Flame Squadron.
1: But even better?
2: Wait, but that's not the, that's the band and not the collaring? coloring.
1: Yeah, for some reason, most of the band, not all of them, but most of the Chow Chaws gets assigned to this Flame Squadron, whose job it is specifically to do war with fire. Uh-huh. Weapons of fire. Which
2: seems awfully dangerous to do with the one giant tree that everyone lives on. Right,
1: and you have a team of trained quilliers that, like, are, are, are comfortable and used to working with fire. Why wouldn't that be your flame mm-hmm. squadron? But there is a second name that you have to hear. Do you remember yeah. our vocab word from a couple weeks ago about uh, what we call a fire when it gets the right kind of hot?
2: Oh, shoot. Bonk? Bonk. The bonkers?
1: The bonk brigade.
2: I was going to go with the Bonk Boys.
1: The Bonk Boys would have been good too. Bonk Boys. But there are plenty of girls on this team. But the Bonk Brigade. Anyway, there's lots of other teams too, but like, Uh yeah, we're getting new, new squads, new teams.
2: Of course, of course. All right, so yeah, so we're prepping to like, go out and meet metal with metal. Yeah. And, um, and fascism with fire.
3: And it fails.
2: Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, we lose the battle because they have the numbers. Like, there's maybe a couple hundred owls at the cool tree. I want to say, something like something around there.
1: There's plenty, but certainly not a thousand. That this is this is an unheard of amount of owls attacking them, and it seems at at every step, you know, they've got these traps laid, Mm -hmm. and they kind of work, but the enemy is always hitting them wherever they have the least amount of owls stationed.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's like there's an information leak or something.
1: And this is where we get Ezra's speech number one. So, Winston Churchill.
2: Uh-huh. You ready for this? Yeah. Tell
1: me, what do you know about the uh, speech patterns of Winston Churchill?
2: Man, I don't know, actually. Like, I know that he was... I'm trying to think if I actually listened to him and give speeches. I don't think so.
1: So here's the funny thing. Um, I went and read uh-huh.
2: a
0: lot of
1: his speeches for this. And honestly, they aren't particularly memorable. Uh-huh. They're not bad. As far as speeches go, he's got some. He's got some ticks. He's got some things that he always hits. He has some thematic things he always hits. Ezra definitely shares those. Uh-huh. And he's got these. He he likes pairs. Uh-huh. He likes to make word pairs and sets of three. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> the funniest quote I found about Winston Churchill was, by and large, the less sophisticated his audience, the greater the effect of his words. Uh-huh. Uh, because he was known for using a lot, like, too many big words. Oh, just yeah. too many. Yeah. And the parliament kind of hated him for it. They thought he was just a really good smooth talker with no uh-huh. substance, but the people loved him for it. Uh-huh. Um, also famous for uh, never using speech writers. Uh huh. And being incredibly word picky to others to the point where they would say a word and he'd go, No, the word you want is.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: just, he's that guy. Yeah, yeah. So imagine that guy giving uh-huh. a speech.
2: I'm imagining when you're saying that guy, you're thinking of someone in a creative writing class you took.
1: The guy in the creative writing class who wears the fedora. Um, tries to grow a beard, but it, it doesn't really grow, uh-huh. gives you unsolicited writing advice, and then consistently tells you you're wrong no matter what you write. Uh-huh. That guy. Yeah. That's him. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, Winston Churchill, but he did succeed thematically, which he has uh-huh. five themes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One, we face a monstrous evil, which is a threat to the world. Yep, yep. Two, if we can stand up to it, we'll save not only ourselves, but all of humankind.
2: Uh Uh-huh, yeah, pairs well with number one.
1: Three, our ultimate goal must be victory, uh, because this is an evil so virulent that it must be extinguished. Yeah, yeah. Four, the road to victory will be long and hard and involve pain and sorrow. Now, this is the point where he lost a lot of uh, the parliament. Uh Uh-huh. Because Winston Churchill was quite well known for telling Europe, or telling specifically England... Suck it up, y'all. Things are gonna suck. Yep. And they, and it worked.
2: Uh-huh. I mean, he wasn't wrong.
1: Keep calm and carry on. That's him. Uh-huh. Um, And finally, number five, you know, number four was things are gonna be hard and rough and bad. Number uh-huh. five is, if we support each other and stick together, we can do it. Yeah. Keep calm. Carry yeah. on. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. This is gonna be bad.
0: Uh-huh.
3: So... That is Ezelrib uh-huh. for the next
2: 80 pages. Uh-huh. Which, to me, fair is pretty in character with the Ezelrib we've seen so far.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is just where you can see, oh yes, Kathleen Lasky did just mean him to be Winston Churchill. Yeah, yeah. 100 <laughs> percent Um, this first speech that we get from him is two pages long. It is just two pages of Ezelrib monologuing. Uh-huh. While I understand why and as an adult find it linguistically fascinating i'm pretty sure this is why i stopped reading (laughs) the books as
0: a kid
2: well you gotta understand when the kids were reading this book and there wasn't very much ezelrib for the last like 100 pages (laughs) they kept saying where is ezelrib what's ezelrib up to i want to know where ezelrib is oh he's
1: speech writing that's why he's been gone
2: so long yeah i know so we got to get a solid you know four pages of ezelrib now so that we can get our Ezelrib fixed after being so bereft of Ezelrib.
1: I gotta say, Lasky nailed it. Uh-huh. Um, when I read the Winston Churchill speeches, and then I went back and read these Ezelrib speeches, like, she nailed it. And I kind of hate it. hmm She did a perfect job, and I don't want to read it again.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is completely valid.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: And I feel like we've already touched on what the speech is, going through the five with oh, church yeah, points. Oh, that, yeah,
1: that is the speech. That's it.
2: Uh-huh. That's it. He gives the speech after the initial plan fails?
1: He gives the speech four times, don't worry about it. We're not going to mess with timeline here. Uh-huh. Um, because the timeline gets pretty messy.
2: Yeah. It's, are we doing a lot of perspective hopping again?
1: I, yes, we are. And the siege just also seems to last a while. It, it, at I mean, least a season, but it's a little unclear how long.
2: Like. Do they actually seal up the tree?
1: They do. It gets so bad that they all retreat into the tree where they cannot mm-hmm. hunt. Um, which they have burrowing owls digging caches. Uh huh. But they can't go out to hunt. Real hide.
2: owl fact: We had that in the owl fact corner. Remember, <laughs> that was a real thing <laughs> that, that they owls did. Fact.
1: Um, and and it's clear to Ezorib at this point that there is a traitor. Uh huh. We, the reader,
2: know who that is. It's that dastardly Otelissa, of course. Been setting her up (laughs) just to knock her down. No. Well, who could it possibly be?
1: Of course it's Doolab. Yeah, of course. Of course it's Doolab. Ezra Web gives this whole speech about how amazing Doolab is, and everybody's like, what the freak is this guy? Like, she's been no help. What are you talking about? You're so Um,
2: happy you have an swear that's an F word.
1: I love it. I I freaking love it. <laughs> and even U- Ulyssa in particular has a lot of reasons to be mad about Dulap and her getting to gloat.
0: Because,
1: mm-hmm. like, last we saw Ulyssa and Dulap, Ulyssa threw a book in her face.
3: Uh-huh, uh-huh. And flew
1: away. <laughs> um, so Digger Digger says, let her gloat, Ulissa." What do you mean? Thorne asked. Ulysses looked equally surprised by Digger's remark. Think about this. Dulap is the only burrowing owl who's not been put on a digging unit. We are all burrowing something. I'm doing cache holes for embers, and Hubert over there is caching food supplies. Muriel and three others are excavating the existing storage areas under the tree to make them larger. If Ezelrib thinks Dulap is so great, why isn't she working in a unit?
2: Because she's something of a casual? Ah
1: that's a good one. Owl points for you.
3: No, but it's clear. Ezra figured it out. Um And now we've gotta break the siege. What do we do? Um, set the tree on fire.
1: What?
2: No. Okay, never mind. <laughs>
1: And this is why you would not be put in charge of a siege.
2: (laughs) You know, you gotta do one thing they're never going to expect.
1: Okay, pick a different thing they're never going to expect.
2: Um, let's see, we're gonna use the burrowing owl tunnels to tunnel out a secret exit to go and get a surprise attack, pincer attack.
1: Pincer attack is the exact words they use. Uh Bada-bing, bada-boom, you got it.
2: Uh Uh-huh. Which still seems like that's not going to be enough to break a siege of thousand owls. Then again, I guess they're also getting pretty tired and hungry, too.
1: Well, and it it seems like a lot of the owls that they've brought are higher claws. Uh
2: huh. Who are only gonna stick around for so long?
1: Yeah, they aren't gonna stick around to starve here, and there's not enough food to feed a thousand owls. Um, so it is worth saying our guardians at this point are are dying of starvation.
0: Uh huh.
1: Uh-huh. Um, they can't go hunt. They can't get milk berries... It's the middle of winter and they're only operating off of what they've cached. Um who comes up with the idea for our beautiful pincer movement?
2: Uh, it's gotta be O'Talissa.
1: Nope.
2: Soren. Sorin. Okay, finally yep. Soren. I guess we're at the end of the book, Soren has to do something.
1: Exactly. Exactly. He's gotta show his worth, his main character. Yeah, we gotta do it. Um and in order to do it, we gotta send Doolap in the opposite direction. Digging a tunnel in the wrong way. Yeah, that's how we break the siege.
0: Perfect.
2: How long has she been informing?
3: Uh, uh,
1: unclear. There, there's a lot sort of left to the reader, at least in this book, and I think we get more of that in the next book of why Dulap did all the things that she did. Uh huh. Um, what it really boils down to, the only things that are made a little bit clear is the tree is very important. Uh huh. To do that. And she really truly thought that she could just make a deal for the tree's sake uh-huh. and protect it. Mm-hmm. And re- repeats multiple times throughout this book Who would have thought it would come to war? Yeah, yeah. Like literally everybody, you just dumb give... rack drop brain.
2: <laughs> just give the Nazi owls Poland. What's the worst they're going to do?
1: If we make Hitler happy, everything will be fine. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Ezelrib speech number four. Okay, we'll read you one part of one Ezelrib speech. Okay. And now I say, go forth! Go forth for our island, go forth for our tree, go forth for honor and all that we imagine when we think of the civilization wrought by our guardians of G'hul. Once more I say, be ye owls of valor. Glocks bless. Which is just so Winston Churchill. That's
2: very Winston Churchill, yeah. <laughs>
1: that's that's why I highlighted it. That is the Winston churchill ist as a mm-hmm. ever be. But we're almost at the end here. It is page 250-ish. Uh-huh. It's battle time.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Big fight.
1: Big fight for thirty pages. Thirty pages of fight.
2: Oh, that is a long amount of fight.
1: It is a long amount of fight. Uh it's a little drudgy, if I'm honest.
2: Yeah. Well, you're you're not the peak demographic for owl fight scenes.
3: Well, but that's just the problem. It it's it's all a fight,
1: but it never feels like an active fight scene. It actually, you know, it almost reads like a World War Two aerial dogfight, yeah, which yeah. should I suppose be the allegory there. Uh huh.
2: Was probably more interesting to watch than to read.
1: Yeah, actually, I I bet that that would be an
3: exciting part of the movie. Uh huh. Uh huh. For sure. Uh, we also get our
1: first character death in a while.
3: Yeah. Um.
1: Shoot, who dies?
2: I don't think Ezra
1: does. Ezra rib die here?
2: No. Yeah, I didn't think I so. I gotta
1: say, I don't think it's the right choice. I don't think it was an impactful
2: choice. Let's see, I think Mrs. P is still around for Ms. a while. P is still around. Um, and is it any of
1: the Chaw trial of trials?
2: No, yeah, and I, I think- didn't think so. I
1: genuinely think that would have been the better choice.
2: Um, so it's gotta be one of our other, like, Chal leaders. Yep. Um, Strix Druma?
1: It is Strix Druma. Hey, I got it!
2: I was gonna just start going through the names as <laughs> I remembered them.
1: I mean, there's only so many- named Chaw leaders, uh, that we get. But uh-huh. yes, well, so...
2: also because we have to keep doing it with Alyssa's arc, which means now she's going to have to, you know, build those big shoes.
1: Ding, 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 ding! You got it! Nailed it on the head! And I'm pretty sure that's the only reason Strikstruma died. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Was to complete <laughs> Alyssa's arc.
2: Hey, at least she didn't die of the bloody flux off-screen or whatever.
1: I mean, she did die off-screen.
2: Yeah, but not of the bloody flux, just like, oh yeah, that happens.
1: Literally, the line is, oh, the Strix Druma Strikers suffered some heavy losses. Losses? Not Ruby, not Utlissa, not Ruby, or Utlissa.
2: Huh. There's one other named character who we know is in that team. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> Weird. Uh, and like, I, I do love these books for their willingness to kill off characters. I wish that maybe she'd gone even harder. Because uh-huh. this. I don't feel like this accurately covers the costs of war. Yeah, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm.
3: Well, the war isn't over though. Oh, it's only just started. For sure. Um. We get one more massive speech from Ezelrib.
2: Oh, is Clud here? Do we see Clud in this attack? Or any other named Pure Ones?
1: Oh, actually, okay, there is one important part that I totally skipped over. We get a new named Pure One. And we get some of her perspective.
0: Uh-huh. Is
1: that uh. Naira? Naira. Naira is Clud's new mate. Um she is psychotic. Yeah. And she is the reason Clud joined the Pure Ones.
0: Oh. We yeah. find
1: out through her perspective, like, she set up for her old mate to be murdered, uh, so Clud could take over. Like, this is all her fault.
2: Uh-huh. uh-huh. She's So her old mate w- mate was the previous leader yeah. of the Pure Ones? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah.
1: Uh she's arguably even worse than Clud. And really truly loves Metal Beak. Uh huh. It's frightening and she's awful. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So that's who we fight. Um, and that's who kills Strix Truma. Oh, yes. But we don't learn that until after the fact. So again, not super impactful.
2: Uh huh. We could have seen that from her perspective. We could have
1: seen that. I would have actually kind of loved to see that from her perspective and just say, oh, I got a killing blow on a spotted owl and have the reader go, oh, a spotted oh. owl? That oh. could be Udlissa! Oh, no! And mm-hmm. then have it be like, Oh, twist, it's Strix Druma. Uh-huh. That, I, I yeah, I would have been down for that.
2: Yeah. All right, so we've broken the siege. The pure ones have had to flee with their... Just probably not tails between their legs, but... Do owls have a submissive behavior? I'll have to look that up. Yeah, that's your job to figure
1: out. We have a funeral. Um, Udlissa is... Broken? Well, yeah. In a lot of ways... But also stronger than ever. Yeah, yeah. You know, keep calm, carry on.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Oh, and then we get the, these books love doing like a last ten pages big drop. Uh-huh. Last vocab word of the day.
2: Because, yeah, the last one was uh, fixing eglantine's.
1: Yep, 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 exactly. Um, The last ten page drop for this book is Starsight. Soren is having dreams
2: uh-huh. that
1: really happened.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> he sees the future?
1: The present? The past? Uh-huh. He sees whatever it's plot convenient to see. Well, and yeah. we're dipping even further down that fantasy rabbit hole?
2: Mm-hmm. What did he specifically foresee? He foresaw the siege? Naira.
1: He oh. foresaw Naira specifically. Um, it was the moon-faced owl who killed her, wasn't it, Udlissa? Point of
2: order, point of order.
1: All of barn owls are moon-faced. She is repeatedly described as moon-faced like especially moon-faced. She nodded. They call her Naira. She's your brother's mate. Which, how does Udlissa know that? Unclear. I know, Soren said. Udlissa blinked. How do you know?
0: How do you know, They're
1: Right? I dreamed it. Then you have what they call starsight, she said. You dream about things and sometimes they happen. I've read about it. The stars for you are like little holes in the cloth of a dream.
2: I mean, you dream enough things, a couple of them are going to happen.
1: Uh, I'm, I definitely have dreamed all sorts of embarrassing things about school that have definitely happened. Is that pros- prophetic? Come on. No.
2: Oh, you've got the star site, huh?
1: <laughs> school site. Uh, and then we end... Uh, like literally less than half a page after that. Mm-hmm. Um, they aren't finished with us, Soren, and we can't wait for them. What do you mean? A tremor passed through his gizzard. I mean, we can't fight defensively. We have to go after them. Soren blinked. There was a fierceness in Oldlisa's eyes. What are you writing? A plan. An invasion plan. <laughs> I don't know where we're invading, because I don't think we even know where the Pure Ones are based at this point, but Ulaza is already writing up invasion plans. I mean, Here we go. Be, it's
2: gotta be somewhere in the forest to title, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it should be, I suppose. But yeah, that's 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 where we end. That's it. Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, any closing thoughts on the end of the siege? as On the book as a whole?
1: I am a firm disliker of these last page drops it's not even a uh-huh. cliffhanger it's a last page reveal
2: uh-huh i feel like that's just part of the you know book culture of... i guess through the 2000s uh-huh.
1: especially in serials there was this push in children's literature for like animorphs and all that to have uh-huh. these big drops in the last uh-huh. pages but i don't like it
2: yeah do kids books these days not do that
1: Kids books these days are a lot less likely to be a long ongoing series the way that they were in the 90s and early 2000s. We do uh-huh. still have book series, but they tend to be more like three books. Uh-huh. You know, five books max if we're thinking and, Rick Rorden.
2: And more episodic.
1: And well, actually less episodic. Yeah. When you think about the the books we grew up on, animorphs, babysitters clubs, these these series that could run, you know, boxcar kits, that yeah, could run yeah. 50, 60, 70, 80 books Uh were extremely episodic and almost not connected. Yeah, yeah. And in Lasky, we start to see this push towards a little bit more connection, a little Uh bit more of a through line.
2: Yeah, and stuff like Warrior Cats as well.
1: And stuff like Warrior Cats, but we still have this very 90s and cliffhanger drop. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm over it. I'm past it.
2: Uh Uh-huh. I feel like that's a relatively minor grape.
1: Oh, for sure, 100%. That, that's just a sign of like, the times. You're
2: allowed to have your minor gripes, but, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad this was st- where you still probably haven't quite hit the peaks of book three, it sounds like, but we still solid book here, yeah? This
1: one, yeah, still solid book. Still solid book. There was just so much to cover in this book with all the different perspectives and all the different characters that we were never going to hit uh-huh. it all, you know? Yeah. I feel like we've talked about this for easily, what, an hour and ten minutes now yeah, on yeah. our recording. And and there's so much more that I could, that I want to bring up. Uh-huh. And, like, we would never find the time.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There, It's a book that's stuffed full. Uh, you kind of get the sense that maybe she either wanted to be writing longer books mm-hmm. or just had too many ideas for what was mm-hmm. probably originally planned to just be six books. Yeah,
1: it feels like our editor wanted to cut a, a, a lot down uh-huh. here.
2: Yeah, I bet she was out there, like, turning in a 500-page draft of <laughs> 280-page book. And,
1: and we would have read it, honestly.
2: uh uh-huh, but it would have had to be split into two books for children's publishing, you know?
1: Oh, no, now instead of a nine-book series, we have a ten-book series. The no, 90s like, loved that.
2: But, like, six is, like, such a nice round number. You know, it's two trilogies.
1: Seven is a nice magical number. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, hit me with some owl facts.
2: Yeah, all right. I
1: did my complaining.
2: Yeah, welcome back to PB's Owl Fact Corner. Um, I was going to do some owl mythology. The only owl myth I could find that was like actually had something to dig into was way too dark to talk about on this show. And I know we talked about Nazi experiments and stuff, but like I want the Owl Fact Corner to be a little bit of a lighter place where yeah. we're more <laughs> focusing on like
1: that's fair Makes fun sense. facts.
2: Um, but Nicktymna to me is an interesting myth. From the reading I did about it. That's Athena's owl.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: And how she became an owl. And how maybe the, the crow who tells the story of her was slandering her. <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk about Nick today. Today we're going to have an Owl Fact Corner on spotted owls. Oh, good. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: We did in the book, and this whole book is kind of about spotted owls. So great, let's do uh-huh. it. Alright,
2: so, fact number one. Spotted owls are one of the more promiscuous owl species. (laughs) Ha! While a lot of owl species mate for life, or at least for a long time, spotted owls are known to have, like, two or three different partners in a single mating season. I kind of love that just because we got such a
1: flirtatious utlis at last book. Mm
2: -hmm. All right. Fact number two. Spotted owls are one of the many species that rely on forest fires to maintain their habitats as they want them. They've been seen to absolutely thrive in forests that just recently burned, like building hollows and burned out trees. It's great for foraging for them. It chases away some other competitors. So they're owls who like fires.
1: I love that too. Like with what they do in the scope of these books. That's kind of awesome.
2: Then finally, on Spotted Owls' diets, in most of their regular locations, uh, they love to feast on wood rats and flying squirrels.
1: I want all three of these to be true, please.
2: Well, only two of them are.
1: But I want all three.
2: Okay, but if you had to guess which one I made up.
1: All right, I'm going to make, I'm going to say the third one is make up because I I like it the least. I think the other two are exciting and I want them to be true. All
2: right, that's your answer? Yeah. All right, well, sadly, I didn't make up number three, mostly because I didn't know that wood rats were a rodent before I read that. So, no, that, that one's real. They do rely on forest fires. They are forest yes! fire lakers, which are really important. Like, a regular fire season is important, too. Mm-hmm. Just
1: the health. Yeah. Of, especially the Americas.
2: Ecosystem, health, and a lot of forests.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, And preventing them has caused kind of, you know, a lot of a damage. A lot of problems and a lot, a lot of... <laughs>
1: more and worse yeah, fires. It means that when the
2: fires do come, they're particularly worse. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah, no, uh, spotted owls are not promiscuous. They <laughs> tend to... Mate and stay together for long periods of time. Both parents tend to look after hatchlings for a while.
1: That makes sense because that's like that's owl behavior. Uh-huh. So I really yeah. should have guessed that one. But Lissa was so flirty that I wanted it to be true.
2: Uh, related fun fact I read today is that uh, putting colored bands on birds can cause big problems when you're trying to like track bird behavior because a lot of birds will think that the colored bands are like incredibly sexy, and so <laughs> wait, will end is up changing- sexy an owl swear? Incredibly attractive, and so the owls with bands will end up mating far more than they otherwise would. And uh, similarly, uh, this is all like a Twitter thread I read today, so you know, who knows how legit it is. There was one species of bird where the darker the chest was, like, a dark chest was like a thing that females would use to choose a male mate, and so they went and they artificially darkened with, like, a sharpie one male's chest, and then when they checked the following season, like... 30% of the eggs in the whole forest were his.
0: Oh, no.
1: (laughs) That's biological manipulation. (laughs) That can't be
3: good. Yeah. Anyway.
2: Anyway, that's Owl Corner. Um, I think that's all we have for you tonight.
1: And another book in the future.
2: Yeah, another book. We should probably record soon so we can start building up our backlog again. Yes, we should. Next book, it is The Shattering, if I remember right.
1: You got it. It is The Shattering. I have, I have not started it yet. So uh-huh. Your memory is better than
2: mine at this point. Book five is The Shattering. I think book six is The Burning. And I think the tree does catch fire in book six.
1: Oh no, spoilers.
2: It's like on the cover of the book.
1: I guess they are 20 years old. If you're worried about spoilers at this point. uh.
2: All right. Uh, Yeah, too bad. So sad. Listen to your gizzard. <laughs> uh, anything we want to plug before we listen to our gizzards? Uh thanks to the Moonshot Network for hosting us. Um lots of cool shows, lots of cool stuff happening on there. Go listen to other podcasts on the Moonshot Network. Uh thank you to uh Matthias Lisak for our cover art. Thank you to Morgan Jackson for our music. You can find their links in the description. Now that's everything. Yeah. So thanks for listening, and uh, you should be listening
1: to your gizzard. <laughs>